This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Hoisty Colors podcast. We are live. It is Monday night. I'm Stephen Igo. I'm joined by Scott Lorbacher and Jonathan Wagner. Fellas, we got a big, big series to recap. East Carolina was able to win both games of the weekend set versus North Carolina. Technically, they sweep the two-game set, even though there will be a third game, we think, later this year as the Saturday game was postponed. But just a huge series win for ECU. A two-in-one week overall. And I do want to get into some big picture talk about how big this series is. And, and obviously, there's a lot to discuss with what's next because ECU baseball always has a tough schedule. There's a lot in the days ahead. But uh, first, guys, just, man, what a weekend of baseball, Scott. Uh, we, we have our our text thread going at this point. We basically have our own show uh, in, our, in our text messages as we just banter back and forth. But uh, what a weekend, man. Yeah, maybe we should uh, change our uh, our show name to the panic button. The amount of times that we press <laughs> it during the weekend, um, but no, yeah, I mean, what a what a great weekend uh, for baseball. Weather was phenomenal. Um, uh, shout out to Pirate Hawk for uh, letting me use his uh, tickets in the stands so I could bring my wife and our four month old who got to go see his first pirate victory outside of the womb because he went to some football games this year. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just a Two great, great games. Really, three great games this week. You know, obviously the Campbell game is gets erased by you know beating UNC twice. But you know, we played a good baseball team and in a pretty good baseball game during the midweek as well. So just a great week for baseball. Wags, it was what college baseball is all about, right? It's just usually we're, we're used to seeing this in June, not February. Yeah, I mean, going out there Friday night, um, I wasn't in Chapel Hill, but I know the crowd is awesome there too. You know from ECU side alone, but, you know, Friday night, it, it felt like a postseason or regional, super regional type of feel. You know, it, it was a little quiet to start just since, you know, there wasn't really a lot to cheer about if you're not a fan of low-scoring pitchers duel like duels like I am. But, um, you know, once the bats started going late innings and we started to get some lead changes and ECU kind of got back into it, then, I mean, 
man, that was a that was a fun one. It, I think regular season wise, it was probably one of my favorite ECU baseball games I've been to. And I, I really think just atmosphere wise, late eighth, ninth inning on Friday night, it really felt right up there with I would say even Super Regionals last year. It was that good. So and yeah, it just North Carolina baseball, it's it's legit all across the state. And that's exactly what you want to see. And I hope we see more of it. It's really fun and good weekend. As always, we, we got our uh, our live stream going, at least with this baseball roundtable podcast. So if you got any comments, you got any questions, drop them on YouTube, on Facebook, give us a like, give us a subscribe. Uh, hit that notifications bell. Uh, Scott will be sure to remind you as well at the end of the show. But we want to continue to grow our audience. You know, our numbers are already looking pretty good today, coming off a big series win. So let's get that interaction up. We'll answer questions, comments throughout the show, put them up on the screen. We want this to be interactive. So definitely uh, weigh in uh, with any thoughts you guys have. And uh, we'll get to those here shortly. So the theme of the podcast is, you know, look, we're, we're hosting an ECU baseball podcast, so we got to talk big picture. We realize that the series win is not going to make or break ECU's season. Uh, but I do think it has the potential to be a very big deal. We know East Carolina, with the way the American Athletic Conference is trending, and you can even look at some of the scores from the first few weekends, really you're not sure if, if there's going to be many chances for marquee series wins. So my question to you guys as we kind of open this thing up, is just how crucial is ECU's statement series win over UNC? And I do think it is a statement because, you know, winning a winning a three-game series obviously would have been, you know, ideal. But with it going to a two-game series, you kind of had very little margin for error. If you end up splitting those two games, you know, and even if you win the, the midweek game later in the year, it's probably going to be chalked up as, will they split the weekend series? But ECU winning – both weekend games kind of solidifies, hey, they were the better team. They won one at home. They won one on the road. So, Wags, we'll start with you. Just what type of statement is this series win, in your opinion? Yeah, it's a major statement. I think, you know, just just when you look at it, I agree um, with what you just said. Uh, a two-game series sweep sounds a lot better than a 1-1, a week, a 1-1 split and then getting that second win who knows how much later in the year. You know, just having these two games back to back and getting both of them, it and everyone's watching too, so it really shows. And everyone's going to remember this two game series. So, you know, I think picking the both wins up is really big. And you know, obviously, we're a very long ways away from the postseason, but like you said, the American is down, and I think ECU needed to win. And ECU's chances, especially on weekends, to pick up quality, you know, statement type victories are few and far between. So getting this one now, especially against a team that I think will be right there with ECU at the end of the year, you know, whether you're talking hosting a regional, I personally think both of these teams end up around top 10. So, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, a top eight seed, I think both ECU and North Carolina are going to be there in the conversation together. So ECU picking up these two wins, people, people will remember them. Even, even though, you know, over the course of the regular season, more games are going to be played. But when you're comparing resumes at the end of the year, ECU might not have the quality of wins as North Carolina does, but they will have the head-to-head. And just picking this up, it's just great for momentum going into the rest of the season. There's a lot of baseball left to play. 
So just a completely different field getting two here than what splitting would have been. Scott, uh, you're our resident bracketologist uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, the baseball postseason. You know, we, we always and other writers reference top 25, top 50 wins, and due to the lack of opportunities for ECU in some cases, you know, those numbers are less than, you know, maybe some of the teams they're stacked up against. But uh, do you think this is something that helps overcome that, you know, come the end of the year if ECU is in that position to potentially host? Absolutely. Um, I think if you look at UNC, they could potentially be around that 8-9 seed range as far as the postseason goes. And if we're in that same range, having the head-to-head, it's kind of hard to put them ahead of us, especially having won a game in Chapel Hill. Um, and I think that that's a, a big part of it, too. Just looking down at the teams that we play um, the rest of the year over the weekend – there's only a few teams that have over 500 records right now. It's uh, Missouri State, um, UCF, and Memphis. Um, Memphis is because they've played really bad teams. Um, I don't know how good Missouri State will be. Um, I haven't watched them. Um, probably won't watch a lot of Missouri State games. But uh, UCF did sweep Clemson this weekend. Um, I don't know how good Clemson is. So then – I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Backage accused UCF of being a uh, mouthy bunch. So, um, no, no surprise there. Shocker. If wondering if things have changed with UCF, they have not. Um, so they'll have a lot of fun in the Big Twelve next year, um, not celebrating. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so this is this is going to be our marquee series that we can hang our hat on. And if we don't lose another one, we'll be a top eight seed. I firmly believe that. Yeah, UCF for uh, a program that hasn't really won a whole lot. They do a lot of talking, uh, a lot of crowding the plate. So I guess we'll see a few bean balls whenever uh, whenever that matchup resumes. Uh, ECU swept them last year, right in Orlando. So we'll see what happens uh, this this later this spring. All right, we got a couple comments. We'll start to run through some of these again. Drop your comments, YouTube, Facebook. Give us a like, uh, subscribe. Every click matters. Uh, Chuck points out that UCF beat Clemson twice, so maybe UCF can become that team. I feel like they always have like an early season quality series win, and they just kind of slowly fade, and uh, that seems to be the UCF uh, mantra. But I do think they are talented. And, and honestly, it looks – and it's early, but UCF and USF might be the, the two other good teams in the league potentially. Um, Chris Lehman points out that – to Wags' comment – UNC will be top 10 to 15 if they can figure out their bullpen. ACC is going to be tough this year, I think. I mean, the ACC is loaded. So it's like you can finish middle of the pack in the ACC and have a top 15 RPI. And, you know, look, UNC for 14 of the innings, 15 of the innings was the better team over the weekend. ECU just made the plays late. And I, I do, and I made this comment, guys, uh, on the Hoist of Colors. Uh, website today for the first time ever that I can remember the ECU pitching just looked better than UNC like arm for arm velocity breaking stuff UNC is always loaded with arms always loaded with talent Scott can you ever remember a time where to me like ECU just looked like the more talented team on the mound in in this series yeah I think uh, Trey Savage is is, um, establishing himself as a maybe a first-round draft pick type talent. 
I mean, and I don't say that lightly, um, you know, going up against Carlson, who also is probably in that same in breath of, you know, a first three round pick um, and, and going toe to toe. And really, if you look at that, your savage probably could have gone another inning or two, um, but you're not going to stretch a guy past 85 ish pitches um, this early in the year, even if the game is this important. And I think that actually is true of Carlson uh, for UNC. I think as they go along, those guys that they started against us, which were, you know, really good pitchers, will throw deeper into games. But I've watched a lot of games this last three weeks. The number of teams that have guys throwing 91, 94, 95, 96 out of the bullpen and have movement and stuff like, you know, our guys do, like Brock does, like um, Shinkman does, like, um, you know, Lumpkin's got – he got hit a little bit, but I mean, he's got really good stuff too. It's not a lot. And usually if they have a guy like that, it's, you know, one, not the, you know, I think we've thrown 15 pitchers this year and I feel confident in all 15 of them, if we're being honest. Uh, J- Jason wants to know any word on a makeup date at this point, Jason, we don't have a, a, any word. Um, I don't know if you guys have looked at the future schedule to sh- try and find like a, a mutual date, but honestly, there's very few because it's likely going to have to be made up in the midweek. And the ACC has a lot of Thursday weekend series starting this year for TV purposes. So there was a couple dates where ECU had a good Wednesday and UNC started on Thursday. And so there, there's like one or two dates, I think in April or May that they're going to have to, to squeeze it in. And, you know, for me, it's like, I guess ECU is going to want the ticket revenue, and obviously it's another high RPI game, but winning the series, it's not as important to get the third game in, but obviously I still think you want to get it in. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll keep you updated if we hear anything. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on this real quick before diving into the, the UNC series, guys. Uh, Cam wants to know who's meeting at Tobacco Road for drinks tomorrow before the Duke game. I can tell you, Cam, that all three of us will be – in Durham, and we're going to be hosting it. We're not going to be hosting a live show, <laughs> uh, but we may uh, we may host an impromptu get together uh, behind home plate at some point during the game. So, are any, either of y'all plan to go to Tobacco Road? Uh, I hadn't thought about it to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say for anyone who's listening and planning on going to the game tomorrow: um, in the past years, tickets for the game have been free. Uh, they cost $10 this year, and I'm very upset with Duke for that. I texted, we are the only midweek game they are charging for. So the poverty program over there at Duke, you know, poor Duke University and their tiny budget, they have to squeeze $10 out of all the power. That is amazing. I have the text you sent earlier, Scott. Word for word, here's what it says. Uh, I get. Is this on the Duke website or the Durham Bulls website? Uh, I think it, it's linked from the Duke website to the Durham Bulls site. It says the stadium will charge for admission for all Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games, in addition to Duke's matchup with East Carolina on Tuesday, February 28th. So literally the only midweek game they're charging for just to make money off ECU fans. I mean, because there's no Duke fans there. I mean, every time we've been to this game, it's – it's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten to one ECU fans, and I expect it to be that way again on Tuesday. So uh, 
wags you down for a meetup at Tobacco Road, or are you just going to head straight to the stadium? Uh, I honestly have no idea what my plans are right now. Um, I know I'm leaving at some point, and I'll get there at some point. But, you know, I think I'm definitely down for the impromptu meeting. But, you know, you do a live podcast there. You know, we'll just call Cliff over. We'll talk to him through the through the netting behind on plate. I'm sure he'll be all game. So, you know, let's do it. Yeah, there was a time at, uh, I think, a selection show his third or fourth year here where uh, we did the selection show. He was just like, hey, man, you want me to do a live interview for your Facebook <laughs> Live right now? We just did it at Mellow Mushroom. So that was pretty awesome back in the day. Um, so, yeah, getting a lot of comments about needing to expand the bleachers at Clark Claire. We may touch on that a little bit later. Um, there's plenty of comments on it on Hoist the Colors in the VIP chat today, if you remember. <laughs> Uh, we have we have beat that thing to death. Chuck says we need to schedule Clemson in South Carolina. Cliff Goblin has already said he doesn't want to play Eric Backage, who's now at Clemson, his best friend, former teammate in a three-game series. But I do think there's a chance we could see them in the LeClaire Classic in the coming years. I would love to see South Carolina on the schedule, guys. Uh, what about y'all? Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, you just mentioned the Leclerc Classic, and I was actually talking to someone about this, and we were just talking again about the the just how good baseball is, college baseball in North Carolina, the Carolina, South Carolina too. And I just think, you know, if – I think it would be really cool, and this, this is just an idea. I have no idea how it works. But, you know, the Leclerc Classic every year, you know, get those rotation of teams, the local teams. I agree. I think we'll have Backage and Clemson now on probably every couple of years if I had to guess. And, but, yeah, get teams like that. Get South Carolinas, you know, even the Wake Forest type, the Carolinas, NC State, Duke, you know, those types of teams. UNCW, those types of teams on the Leclerc Classic. I just think it would be a really cool setup and really spotlight, you know, how strong baseball is in the state. But then I think going – expanding down South Carolina, again, South Carolina is a really good club. So, yeah, I'm all, I'm all game for it. I'm down. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was hoping that we would at some point have um... – North Carolina, South Carolina, and Western in a Leclerc Classic. I always thought that would be like a really cool, you know, because Western is is where he coached before ECU anyway, and then you get obviously all the uh, navigational points. Um, but yeah, you know, you look at Wake Forest; they don't play um, back-to-back games against the same opponent until they get to conference play. So maybe that's a way to get them here, um, and that's going to be a quality one win. They're not, they're not but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, same thing with NC State, you know. I mean, maybe if you can get them there where they only have to deal with us one time and then when we team up with Indiana's fans to cheer against them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of good programs in North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, Georgia. Um, yeah, I think it would be great to start seeing a little more marquee names uh, in the LeClaire Classic. You know, we've seen a lot of Big Ten teams recently. For some reason, um, Buck Wild is back. Um, <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. We've gotten some West Coast teams out for it, which a wild scheduling decision by Long Beach State to come across the country only to go back to play UCLA next Tuesday. But, um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's get some SEC teams in there, some Big 12-type teams in there. And I think that – and make it like just a great weekend of college baseball and get some some teams whose fans travel. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. And the fields have been good, but I feel like even the last few years they've gotten better. And I think as ECU has become more prestigious under Cliff Goblin, we've seen that 
kind of go back to to what it used to be. I don't think it'll ever get back to where it was like Georgia, Arizona State, Michigan, North Carolina, like the early days. But uh, it's definitely definitely a great weekend either way. We'll talk more about the field coming in towards the end of the show. All right, guys, let's let's break down this series. Uh, we'll just you know gloss over the Campbell game. It was a great game. It happened almost seven days ago now. Just one of those tough midweek losses, and I still thought we saw a ton of positives in that game, but. Then we go into Friday, East Carolina hosting North Carolina in the series opener. We already know at that point the Saturday game will not be played on that date. And for seven innings, it looked like ECU was uh, kind of stuck in the mud, and really a lot of that was due to Max Carlson. Fastball at 91, 90, 90 miles an hour, change up, just diving away from, from the lefties. We know that ECU is a lefty-heavy-hitting heavy lineup. Uh, and then it all changed in the eighth when they got him out of the game. And if you were there, which we, we all three were there, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I thought so. I just wanted to make sure. Um, and you could just feel it once Carlson left the game. The fans – and I went back and I rewatched it on TV – it didn't do it justice because, like, even before AMAC took a ball, the place was going nuts. And I'm like, this is, you know, if they get AMAC on base here, this is where it could turn. And certainly it did, it did wags. And definitely, like you said earlier, one of the best regular season games. But uh, it, it all turned, I think, at the start of that eighth inning when they took Carlson out. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said earlier, um, Maybe I'm a little old-fashioned in the sense that I do love low-scoring games. I love watching good pitching. I just appreciate it so much. And Max Carlson, when you think of good pitching, Max Carlson, he's it. You know, he had a little bit of a rough outing his Carolina's first weekend. And I said coming in, it's like originally I was saying, you know, Max Carlson, Carter Spivey, two aces looking to bounce back, obviously before we knew about Carter Spivey not starting. And I'm like, yeah, I think – it's going to be a pitcher's duel. They're going to bounce back. And boy, did, did he do so. But yeah, I mean, by that point, I was, I was just thinking, you know, we're, we're, this place is close. We just need something to happen. And once the energy, you know, gets back into the ballpark, that's usually when things turn and it goes hand in hand. But, you know, like you said, it was once AMAC took that ball with a man on first, that's when it erupted. It was, I think there was a, a mound visit after AMAC took that ball one, maybe ball two, and there was a mound visit, and the proverbial roof of Clark Leclerc Stadium just blew off. And it was really cool, and it was – from there, it was – there was no looking back. And, you know, obviously we know how that game turned out. ECU scored six in that eighth inning. And it's hard to stop this team with – when they give momentum, and, you know, big innings have been – kind of the story of the season, I think. And and I want to I want to mention this too, kind of going back to what we we're talking about a little earlier with, you know, UNC's bullpen maybe not being the greatest. And I look back at, you know, you say the same thing. Obviously, George Washington doesn't have good pitching. But I really think, you yes, George Washington might not have good pitchers. Carolina's bullpen might suck right now. But I really think that the first weekend and Friday night and Sunday has a lot more to do with ECU's bats than it does anything else because yes max carlson was good but hitters they changed it may have taken a while for them to change but their approach changed late in the innings and you know the approaches were very good once you got to the bullpen maybe that was a confidence thing you get carlson out of there but i really think it just speaks so much more about ecu's bats than it does anything else 
Yeah, some huge hits in that inning. Um, Josh Moreland kind of got it started with the double, two strike double, by the way. We haven't seen a ton of two strike hitting from Josh really since the start of last year. So that was a great sign. Uh, Barini gets a little flare. That's when you, you really felt it. You're like, all right, this, oh, yeah. is, this is ECU's night if that's going to fall in fair territory. Uh, Hoover hits the chopper back to the mound. Then our boy, Jacob Starlin, we got the video. Let's play it. He delivers the go ahead hit. Uh, on Friday night. Line drive, Pirates lead. One run in, another runner scores. Starling a two RBI single and a five run inning. And I still say, like, it did, you know, again, re watching it, like, the place was shaking. You can see on the camera. ESPN Plus from the ECU when they're doing the broadcast. They need to find a way to mic up the crowd because, I, I, as you guys will hear later for the uh, the second clip we have from the Sunday game, the crowd was mic'd, and you could tell, and it was a madhouse. Uh, Scott, just what was it like to to be a part of that thing? Oh, I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, shout out to uh, Patrick Johnson there for not um, questioning whether or not we would take the lead on <laughs> an obvious two-run single, but um, – yeah, I mean, it, it was really cool, and, and it really felt like, and this is something that I think is true of our program now, is when we start to score, we can really snowball on teams. And then when we're at home, the crowd kind of feels like it's leaning on the the opponent in a way that, you know, is usually reserved for football, um, of how loud it is and how close the fans are. And every play feels like it it's a big momentum swing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it just – once we got going, and it didn't feel like an upset. And I think that's a big thing about this weekend was it felt like two Omaha-caliber teams playing each other and playing well. Um, the same way that it felt um, with Texas last year where, you know, it felt like two evenly matched teams and we just ran out of steam on that last day. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. I got to, according to uh, to Wagner, uh, Simba, my child, at the dugout. It was <laughs> my and, favorite uh, moment of the weekend. <laughs> uh, and my wife accused me of sacrificing our son. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, but, yeah, it was, just, it was just so awesome to do. And then, you know, even that ninth inning, where it was like we do, we never make it easy, of course, but um, <laughs> both games. Um, but it, you know, like it, it just felt like we belonged there, and we were every bit as good as them, if not better. And I feel like we proved we were. Well, let's talk about the pitching a little bit from that game, guys. Before we go to Sunday, Trey Savage, I thought was ace like. I mean, he was holding his velocity at ninety four to 95 to 96 mile an hour in the what, what do you go six innings in the sixth inning just the development of you know the slider cutter whatever it is it's, it's nasty the split change was great you know he didn't even really throw the curveball that much he's you know he's a four pitch pitcher but he's almost better now pitching off the fastball with the cutter um and the change up uh, just tremendous stuff by him. I- I'll let you, Scott, talk about your boy, you savage. Me and Wags will touch on the bullpen, but uh, I know you were fired up to see Trey pitch the way he did. Yeah, eight strikeouts. And and the big thing for me, one walk. Um, felt like he got ahead of guys, stayed ahead, um, worked the, worked, um, the count early. 
to get those one-two counts, which I think are really important for our pitching staff to get into is, is one-two counts. Um, I, I did see Aaron Fitt was there, and uh, he was talking about how good your Savage's stuff was even into the sixth. And let's see, he threw 89 pitches. Um, you know, if it's a month from now, you probably let him go closer to 100. Uh, I just think he looks like a Friday night ace. Like he looks like a first round Gavin Williams, uh, Evan Krasinski, legitimate Friday night guy. And the thing for me is, yeah, when you're that big and you can hold the velocity, that's that that's what makes you special. Now they got to be a little weary, careful of his innings count just because he didn't go too long in the games last year. So you don't want to wear him down. So I like that they have at least, you know, not ridden him too hard early in the season. Uh, but Wags, in, you know, the bullpen obviously gave up a few runs, but they go to Zach Root in the ninth and tough spot. I mean, he should have had out number two right away with no problem. That ball falls and I'm not going to lie. I thought UNC was going to come back and win the game after that. <laughs> um, you know, shame on me for believing that, but it just felt like that. So I give a lot of kudos to Zach Root for finding a way to pitch out of that jam and in a, a huge moment, the biggest moment of his baseball career. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, shame on you for thinking UNC was going to do it, then I'm right there with you. And, yeah. you know, shame on all of us. Yeah. I mean, but you look at it, Zach Root and, he may have given up, you know, two back-to-back doubles to Vance Honeycutt and Matt Corvath, but that double that Vance Corvath hit, it was really kind of knuckled. It wasn't really hit well. It was one. It was a Joey Barini type of hit. It just kind of floated down the line. You wonder, is it going to be fair? Is it going to be foul? It wasn't well hit. It just found a way. And so, you, you know, that's one of the best hitters in the country. I think he's a probably a future top ten pick. Vance Honeycutt is so. You know, and Matt Corvath is no joke either. So Zach Root coming in, you know, not letting that Jacob Jenkins Cower air, you know, rattle him too much. And he bounced back from it. That's all you can ask for, especially from a freshman. Again, like you said, in the biggest spot of his baseball career. And really the first time he's truly been tested like that. And, man, he came back big. And he found a way to get it done. It's never pretty with ECU. You're always going to sweat it out, but you know having Zach Root do that in that spot, it just it really illustrates how good this bullpen can be if everyone's you know playing up and pitching up to how they can. We saw a ton of arms in that game out of the bullpen: uh, Merritt Beaker, Willie Lumpkin, Tyler Brott, Garrett Saylor, Wyatt Schinkman, and Zach Root. We saw several of those guys again on Sunday. Again, ECU wins the Friday game six to five. They take Saturday off. We go to Sunday. We change venues, go to Chapel Hill. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's just such a different feel for those who went to the Greenville and the the Chapel Hill game. Like both were great environments. Greenville's a madhouse, or Clark Claire's a madhouse. Boschimer, you know, I had a friend call it the uh, the Boschimer uh, Library going into the game, and so it kind of felt like that early on. But then I will say the crowd got into it on both sides. You had rivaling Purple Gold chants, you had rivaling Tar Hill chants with that. Uh, but still nothing quite to the degree of, of what Clark Leclerc Stadium was. But in the end, we saw a very similar game play out. Connor Bavare, I don't know if I had pronunciation right there for the UNC starter, but similar game plan to uh, what uh, Carlson was able to do Friday, fastball changeup, similar velocities, lefty-heavy lineup, got better swings off on them, I thought, but just couldn't string a, a ton together. And UNC was playing some long ball. They got some dudes in the lineup. Vance Honeycutt's ball would, would still be going if not for the, the fence in the outfield or the, the net. Uh, but, again, just when you think UNC is going to roll to a win, the offense kind of came alive out of nowhere. And really, Scott, it, it happened quick, man. It was just like boom, boom, boom. All right, ECU's in the lead again. Oh, 100%. You know, it felt like the game was – you know, kind of just going through the motions, you know, we would score, they would score. They would score, we would score there for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, we just kind of found our rhythm again. We got to their bullpen. Um, and, and that's the thing that our team, I think, is going to be really good at. We've got a lot of guys that take a good approach at the plate. Um, you know, we talk about how improved Starling is this year from years past and how he works the count and will take pitches the other way. Um, you know, he – I think if we had other right-handed hitters, he might be our leadoff hitter right now. But you don't want to just have him and then a bunch of lefties, I guess. But maybe we it's something for us to consider. But, you know, I think what will get lost um, in that game is how well Groves bounced back from a first inning that did not go the way that I think he really wanted to to give us four innings of decent pitching. I I think what he gave up two runs, um, despite the fact that you know he walked. I think walked four and hit one. Yeah, walked four, hit one over five. Um, but he battled, and you know we I, I sent you this earlier. He fell behind three one five times, and four of those five times were to Honeycutt and Horvath, who are legitimate, probably one day big leaguers. Um, and so don't get lost on the fact that, you know, yes, he didn't pitch great, but he was pitching against a lineup that, that could hurt you. And, you know, if you can give us four innings of two-run baseball on Sundays, I like our chances in most games. Yeah, and I think with Groves, it's, you know, there, man, it's, we've talked about it for years now. It's like, you just see him mow a guy down on three or four pitches, and then the next guy maybe he falls behind, and 
I don't know, the, the consistency just hasn't been there, but it's like you, you, the guy was 94 to, you know, 93 to 94 all game with a hard slider and a changeup. Like, you know, we're just kind of waiting for that outing where it all comes together. And I, I wrote today, I'm like, if, if it keeps going up and down as a starter, at what point, you know, we'll get back to the, to the game in a second, but Wags, I'm curious, like, what point do you consider, you know, maybe shifting him to that sailor role where he can pitch multiple times per week? and maybe take some pressure off his shoulders. And I think they want him to become a weekend starter because he can be that. He's got the stuff. He's got the, you know, the pitch mix. But, you know, the other factor is, too, who replaces him. So uh, what do you think, Wags, with Groves? And we're very early. I don't want to act like we're we're giving up on Groves because we're definitely not. We we All three of us like Josh Groves. But um, just a, a question to throw out on this podcast. Yeah, and I think it's a very it's a very fair question. It's it's a conversation we're going to keep having, really, regardless of how well Josh Gross pitches, just because the pitching staff I think is that good. And I mean, obviously, I've I've said it on here before, but pretty much since Gross got to campus as a freshman, I've been saying that he's go- he's a Friday night type of guy. And I don't know. You wonder could that bullpen role be good for him? You know, maybe less less pressure as a starter. But I think if he did that, he has the stuff to where he could be, you know, a high leverage type of arm out of the bullpen. And he could be a guy who could give you length from there as well. So I don't know. Personally, <laughs> personally, I, I think, especially right now, I think you have to keep gross in the rotation. And especially Trey Savage, you know, just because of the uncertainties elsewhere, you know, Trey Savage, does he stick on Friday nights? If he does. It's his first season being a starter. He started two games. So, you know, it's a long season. You're going to need time to still build him up. He threw 80-something pitches on Friday. But to hold up over the course of a season, you're going to want guys you know that can start behind him. And Carter Spivey, he'll be back in the rotation, I'm sure, probably this weekend. So, you know, I'm not concerned about Gross. I'm concerned in the fact that, you know, Willie put it together to be a, a real weekend starter, but I'm not concerned in the fact that if he doesn't, I'm confident that he will be another go-to dominant type of arm out of the bullpen because then it is less pressure. If you don't have it, somebody else is going to come in. We got a, <laughs> we got a, a comment from uh, Lucy Jones, a.k.a. Buck Wild, uh, <laughs> who wants to know what Butner Pirate is sipping on. Can you, can you share that? Oh, just water. Okay. And then that's not water. Okay. Water and not water. He is double fisting, so he's got something going both ways. Uh, so pirate beverage, maybe? Who knows? So, uh, Find out tomorrow in Durham. Go to the game. Yeah. If you if you join our live podcast behind home plate where we illegally stream the game, we'll uh, we'll let you know what we're drinking. Uh, and if I'm drinking on the job, that's not good, so I won't be drinking. Um, all right, so we got some comments here. I think Zach Root will start by the end of the year. Uh, several other things. All right, let's get back to the game before we get too far off track. We'll get into the comments here in a second. All right, so 5-2 going into the the top of the seventh inning. Our guy, I don't even know if he's our guy, but I'm going to call him our guy. Joey Barini leads it off with a single, and the guy, he's not flashy. He's not going to blow you away, but he has a huge hit there. Um, the other big at bat in that inning is Cam Clanch. I noticed it during the at bat. I was like, this guy's right on top of the 
plate. Like he's almost intentionally trying to get hit, doing whatever he can to get on base. What does he do? He gets hit, has to exit the game. I've heard he should be okay. Uh, he's going to be sore for a while, but should be able to play. Uh, and then you get to the top of the order with two on. Jacob Jenkins Cowart, single up the middle on an 0-2 pitch. Hoover, huge double down the line. And then Jacob Starlin again comes through another one or another pitcher's count, 0-2 pitch. He, he, he doubles down the line. I almost played the clip just to make fun of the announcer who didn't know that with runners on second and third that a double down the line would give EC the lead. It did. Uh, and so just another ferocious rally. Hoover, Starling stepping up again. Um, you know, we just saw it again two nights ago, and I think this 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 type of stuff early in the season is something that uh, I feel like can linger. The belief factor can linger all season long, right, Scott? Oh, 100 percent. You know, and we're we're not doing it with walks and a hit batter, and then we hit a three run homer. It's we're stringing hits together. Um, obviously, Clonch got hit, but it's we're we're putting together really good at bats. You know, um. Friday night, it was an AMAC walk. Um, <clears throat> on Sunday, it was a, a Barini double. You know, in, in the, you, so you can do it in different ways. We're not just trying to play the, the old, you know, gorilla ball that we played when I was in school where we would just try to hit it over Charles Boulevard every single time and then just score 15 runs but give up 16 or whatever it might be. But we're putting together really, really good at bats. Um, and it's, an <clears throat> it's a testament to Cliff and how well he's done as our hitting coach because you've seen it year over year where guys come in as freshmen as, as good hitters but unpolished and leave as extremely effective hitters. Guys like Alec Burleson and Brian Packard and Connor Norby, and now I would put Jacob Starling in that grouping. Yeah, it's a, a huge hit. And I think he's going to have a monster year. So then we go to the late innings at six to five. Tyler Brott was phenomenal out of the bullpen, pitched around some trouble, but he was 95, 96, uh, hard slider, uh, just really impressive stuff. And, and I saw some question, of course, you know, they questioned it when Spivey came in with two, two runners on and nobody out. Like, why not let Spivey start the inning? You got to remember, Brott had just sat down one, two, three, the most dangerous part of UNC's order. And the first batter of the ninth basically had a little swinging bunt. Uh, you know, you can argue whether it should be a hit or error. I think they called it an error. It was a tough play. But then the next guy, he's just trying to get inside and hits him. So it's not like he pitched bad in the ninth. He just ran through some unfortunate luck. But then Carter Spivey comes in. We, we kind of had a feeling. We saw him charting pitches and throwing on Friday that he would pitch if given the opportunity. He did get the opportunity, got a huge break on the bunt that was popped up to the mound. Then he ends up getting a deep fly out that would have scored the guy if they would have got the bunt down and then gets the ground out. All right, we're going to play the final out, and I just want to give a warning. This audio is loud. If you're listening live, if you're listening on the podcast, turn it down now, uh, at least some. I'm going to turn my volume down. I'm going to give you guys about five seconds to do that. And then I'm going to play this audio in three, two, one. Here's the final out uh, on Sunday to wrap up ECU's victory and series win. Alvarez hits sharply over to the third baseman, and that will do it. ECU with back-to-back -back wins.
by the same score line. Your final score, ECU 6, North Carolina 5. Hard to believe that was a road game. It was. It was at least 50-50 ECU fans, and uh, they were getting the last laugh at the end. Um, most subdued final call, final out call ever by the announcer, but whatever. Um, it was crazy. And ECU fans always take over that stadium, so it was good to see them get rewarded with a win. And let's talk about the bullpen, guys, because we got several comments uh, – we already got some comments about the announcer. Jackson says, why did he sound so sad speaking to the announcer? Uh, but uh, we got some comments on the bullpen. And I just think right now, like, like it's almost tough if you're Cliff Godwin to decide who to bring in in certain spots, which is a great thing. Not that you don't have trust in guys, but I think there's enough stuff back there. You could go to several guys in the seventh day. It's clear Tyler Brock's developing into late any guy. They trust him. But Eric Ritchie to me, Willie Lumpkin, Zach Root, you now have three to four guys, I think. And we're not even talking about Garrett Saylor, who is going to be one of your key bullpen guys. So, Wags, I just feel like this thing is shaping up to be pretty special bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Garrett Saylor. He hasn't really been his best. And I think it's important to note, you know, I was listening to the radio broadcast after the game on Sunday. I wasn't there, but I listened to it just for Cliff's interview. And I'm glad I did because he said that Garrett Saylor has been dealing with a bug, I believe he termed it as, and that he's lost, you know, 10 pounds or so. So they're trying to get weight back on him. So he's clearly he's healthy enough to play. But, you know, going through something like that, you know, that can't be easy on his body. So I think. Maybe that's your answer as to why he hasn't been as sharp as we maybe expected. And, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned guys like Eric Ritchie and Willie Lumpkin. Ritchie I was really impressed with. And Lumpkin, it said, I think it says a lot that he pitched in all three games this weekend. And I, I really like what he does. And I don't, I don't think he was a guy that really any of us mentioned. I don't think we talked about him once in all of our preseason podcasts. I, I don't think his name was brought up. So he wasn't on my radar. I knew he came in, and but I, I didn't think he would be that kind of guy. And he, he is a really deceptive slider, really good. And, I mean, he's a nasty – he has some nasty stuff when he's on, and he pitched in all three games. Wyatt Lunsford Shankman did as well. And Shankman had he – had he got hit around a little bit a couple times, but I think it was imp- impressive to me that he got charged with a loss against Campbell, I believe. And then he came back on Friday, really shut things down against Carolina. I believe he got the win on Friday as well. So it was nice to see him bounce back like that. And then on Sunday, he came back and pitched again. And it's pretty clear that, yeah, you have a lot of options to choose from. It's a nice problem to have. And you're luckily still at the point in the year where you can afford to test these guys in high leverage situations, low leverage situations, and not worry about if you have someone else behind them. If you throw out Willie Lumpkin in a high leverage spot and he doesn't have it today, okay, cool. We'll turn to Wyatt Lunch or Shankman. We'll turn to Eric Ritchie. We'll turn to Zach Root. We'll turn to Tyler Brott. And you'll I'll turn to Garrett Saylor. Again, he was the last guy I mentioned there. I just mentioned six or seven arms. So it really speaks to the depth of the bullpen, the depth of the pitching staff as a whole. And again, we're we're just getting started. I still think there's guys like Jordan Little that could step up as the year goes on. So I'm excited to see how it plays out, but really, really encouraging so far. Yeah, I was going to say, we didn't even mention like Jordan Little, Jaden Winter, 
Merritt Beaker, Jake Hunter, like the list goes on, man. I mean, I, I've been asked about Jake Hunter a lot. I still think he's going to play a role for this team. I think he's going to start some games. And, you know, you just have so many options right now. Knock on wood, uh, hopefully it stays this way. And um, it sounds like Zach Root will likely start tomorrow's game. The Duke notes have uh, Zach Root is starting. Again, it'll be a bullpen day. We haven't even mentioned Danny Bill either, by the way. Double, oh, double deal in Danny Bill. So it's like – there's too many guys to name, which is a great thing compared to, you know, 10 years ago when it was like, oh, yeah, we got two guys and the rest uh, throw 83 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> and uh, Lucy Jones wants to know, did Zach Root pitch Sunday? Now, he was warming up in, in I think, in the eighth or ninth, did not pitch. Uh, sounds like he'll pitch and start tomorrow. I would expect him to go, you know, two, three innings maybe. It's still going to be a bullpen day, um, but it would be nice to see somebody step up. And, you know, I still think Charlie Hodges can be a piece for this team too. So it would be nice to get a legitimate midweek guy that you can kind of count on to give you four or five innings uh, as this year goes on, Scott. Yeah, for sure. Um, because you're, you know, one weird throw away from needing a guy to be a sun or, you know, a, a weekend guy. Um, and, and, you know, I think we talked about it on the preseason podcast, and I mentioned how excited I was for us to potentially have a guy on Tuesdays that was a legitimate starter. Um, at the time, I thought it would be um, Jay Connor. Um, I won't ask you about him again, but um, uh, we'll see who kind of fills that role. Um, you know, maybe it is Root, but Root's so valuable at the back end of games because of how good his stuff is. Um, you know, it's kind of like the way – Spivey was at the beginning of last year where he, he was just more valuable giving you two to three innings every game over the weekend um, compared to just starting one game. And then, you know, by the time we got to Supers, he was valuable in that role. So, um, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But depth is a good problem to have. Yeah, Brett Hickman, uh, he made this comment earlier, wanted to bring it up, just kind of goes with the theme here. Bullpen, been absolutely spectacular through six games. Important to have frontline starters, but winning in regionals often comes down to being able to put together good innings in consecutive days. And yeah, I mean, last year that I thought that's why EC was so effective in that regionals because they had so many arms. Even when they lost a game, you went into that final game knowing uh, you, you felt good. So as far as the arms, another guy we haven't even mentioned, Landon Ginn. I mean, so it's like you know this dude was throwing ninety three in the preseason with a hard slider, and he had to deal with some off-the-field stuff, but should be eligible to pitch soon. So, I mean, he could be another back-end guy. So, you just – you like how it all is is shaping up on paper, and hopefully these guys stay healthy, uh, you know, going into uh, the rest of the season. Let's talk about some other storylines from this week, guys, before we, we take a look at the coming weekend. Um, somebody commented earlier about Justin Wilcoxon coming back down to earth. And, you know, we did warn last week, look, it was one week. It was George Washington. And I'll say this for Wilcoxon. The dude is catching every inning. Like his priority and, look, batting is important. He's hitting in the middle of the order. Obviously, he takes his at-bat seriously. But any catcher's first priority is handling the pitching staff, handling the running game, keeping balls in front of you. I mean, there is a lot that goes on a catcher. And for him to not really have a backup right now and Ryan McChrystal with him being injured, uh, they do have Nick DeLisi. But, you know, I think 
even early on, he's probably a little tired. They got to be careful with his legs, which I'm sure they're, they're getting him off his feet today. But, um, and, and two, he's a marked man. You have that good of a week, you're going to be scouted heavily. And I, I still think he's going to have a very good year. He's not as good as he, he, he showed the first week. He's not as bad as he showed this week. So, um, what, what are your thoughts on, on the catching situation overall, Jonathan, at this point? Because, you know, I think it is a legitimate concern that McChrystal sounds like he'll be out a little bit. And basically, ECU needs to keep Will Coxon healthy or else we're going to see a freshman back there who's who, you know, probably at this point in his career probably should not be back there. Yeah, it's probably one of the most important storylines right now, I think. Because, you know, like Scott said, back with the pitching, you know, you're one weird pitch away from needing a guy to step up. You, you're the same thing at catcher. You're one bad throw, bad injury, whatever, away from Nick DeLisi being your starter. And, you know, I'm pretty high on Nick DeLisi. I think he's pretty good, good defensive catcher. I think his bat could be good enough. He's a right-handed bat as well. But, you know, Justin Wilcoxton, like you said, he he's not as good as he was against George Washington. He's not as bad as he was this week. Still came through with an important RBI single, I believe, on Friday against Carolina. So it was nice to see him break through and get another hit. But, yeah, I mean, I think at this point he has to be tired. It doesn't. I don't care how deep you are into the season. I don't care if you're one weekend and catching every inning, especially with sometimes these innings drag on, you know, it's not easy. So, I don't know. I think – McChrystal being out another month or so, probably at least. Who knows, really? Nobody knows. McChrystal doesn't even know. So I think it, <laughs> it's important for Wilcoxon to, yeah, I think defense is important. So it's important for him to, you know, keep focusing on that, finding a way to stay off his legs. But really, as a catcher right now, like you said, I go, it's just he needs to focus on the defense. The bat will come. And, you know, coming into the year, it was probably going to be Wilcox and McChrystal, probably both in the lineup, one at DH, one at catcher. He probably split two in a four-game week. You know, McChrystal catches two, Wilcox and catches two, if I had to guess. And you don't have the luxury of doing that right now. But eventually, as things currently stand, Nick DeLisi will have to play. And, you know, I think that's another reason it's important to get out to some big leads. And if you can get out 10 nothing on Duke tomorrow, <laughs> do it. Because then as soon as you can take Wilcoxon out and give him a breather, you do it. But then, you know, that this is a whole other rabbit hole, but you don't have another catcher on the roster. You don't you don't have a Joey Rezik type of guy who started off as a catcher and then he turned into an outfield or pinch runner type of guy. But he was your fourth catcher on last year's roster. He's gone. So, you know, if – you take Wilcoxon out and Nick DeLisi comes in and God forbid something happens to Nick DeLisi as well. You're kind of screwed. So we'll see. Uh, Lucy Jones says Cliff is just jobbing us. McChrystal will start Saturday. <laughs> I don't think that'll happen. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, he also says Wax has been eating and reading <laughs> baseball. Way to bring it Wax. Uh, Thank you. So, Bob. Yeah. Scott, I want to also get your take on, not only what you saw from Will Cox and, you know, his, his plate approach this week, you know, he got he, – he was bitten by the changeup, but what ECU left-hander was not. So, like, we've talked about it. This is going to be a lefty-heavy lineup, and I'll preface this by saying not everybody's going to be able to pound the zone, get ahead, and use their fastball changeup as effectively as North Carolina pitching was. But 
best way to stop a lefty is to to dang, dangle that change up and you know use that combo. So how much of a concern is that for you going forward as as teams see that? This is probably the best week of pitching that we'll face the whole season. Um, you know, so take it with a grain of salt. You know, like you said, he's not a seven fourteen hitter. He's not a one whatever he was this week. Um, and you know, we look at last weekend. He caught sixteen innings in a day or something like that, or seventeen. Uh, you know, that's going to take a toll on him. Uh, we haven't led first in a game this year, I don't think. So it would be great if this week, where we've kind of, you know, we've played some of the more difficult teams on our schedule, if we could build a big lead and get Delisi some game action and get um, Will Cox and off his feet, um, you know, whether that's against Duke or Indiana or uh, Long Beach State, uh, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, catching 36 innings in a week is going to take a toll on anybody. It's a lot of getting up uh, and getting down. But, you know, as, as difficult a week he had at the plate, I thought he played really, really well defensively. And to me, that's more important for my catcher. You know, if we have to drop him to the eight slot because his bat isn't doing what it did the first week, but he plays really well defensively, that is not a big deal at all to me. I think that's as every bit as important as hitting um, home runs and doubles is keeping balls in front of you and keeping runners on first um, in potential stolen base situations. All right, we got uh, some questions. Richard Osbert with a good one. Also, if you're listening to our live edition, live stream, uh, drop any questions you got, comments before we get out of here. Uh, Richard wants to know who takes the Zach Agnos role from last year's team leader on the field. He says, can Jacob Starlin do it? You know, I think it's I think it's early enough in the year, Richard, where it's – it's still kind of forming, and, and they've got some natural team leaders like Lane Hoover, Sailor, Spivey, all fifth-year guys. And so they're naturally kind of designated as a leader. But I also feel like you kind of have to be like the dude to be a leader. And like that kind of emerges over the course of, of the year. And so like who's going to be the guy who produces and leads the right way in terms of work ethic and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, certainly Hoover, Spivey, and Sailor have been there, done that, so they're going to do that. But who else is going to emerge? Who's going to be that emotional leader? You know, JJC kind of fits that role. Um, Scott, we'll start with you. Who do you think is kind of a prime candidate for that, if they're not already there? Yeah, I think Starling could be that guy. You know, you, you see, you know, maybe more emotion on him, with uh, with him on the field than in the post-game pressers. But, you know, when he hits those – He's had those those big um, go-ahead hits the last two games. You could f- kind of um, sense that from the, the crowd or um, from the camera um, when watching it at home. So um, it, time will tell. It's hard for us to sit here and say um, unless we're around them every day and see who's you know being a leader in practice. I think the guys that are leaders in practice tend to be leaders on game day. Uh, McLean Anderson with a great point. I, I wanted to – to talk about this um, because I do feel like we've talked a lot about the, we've talked a lot about the pitching depth. We haven't, you know, we talked a lot about the player depth last week, but this week we haven't really, because the games were so close. We didn't see maybe a ton of guys necessarily that we saw on the opening weekend, but I I still think, you know, McLean says, he says, uh, quote, still think we're going to need Dixon Williams or Cam Burgess to play a, a bigger part this year. 
Uh, and I agree. I think both those guys as freshmen are talented. They both hit well in the preseason. And, look, we've only played six games out of 56 regular season games. There are going to be injuries. There are going to be times guys slump, need days off. I think one, if not both, of these guys could develop into key pieces. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've we've talked about Dixon Williams specifically a lot, and I think I said on the last preseason pod he's he's going to play. He's he's too good not to. However, that comes whether it's injuries, whether it's guys going through slumps, or whether it's just Dixon Williams continues to tear it up and the opportunity opportunities he does get, he, he's going to be in a lineup at some point, and you know. Does that come corner outfield? You know, we saw Cam Clonch go out to the outfield this year. Uh, I mean, not this year, this weekend. I played a couple of innings on Sunday in left field. And, you know, I think right now the outfield is kind of a question mark, if you will, just because, you know, JJC in center, will that stick? Carter Cunningham in right. Riley Johnson got the start on Sunday in center field. Luke Nowak has been DH primarily. He can play outfield. Cam Clonch. Dixon Williams, I think, could be a left fielder. Obviously, a third baseman. So, yeah, it's Dixon Williams. He's going to make an impact on this team this season. Now, I'm going to keep saying it until the season's over. And Cam Burgess, too, you know, right-handed bat, I believe. And, again, that DH spot, you know, if Luke Nowak does go out to the outfield at some point, and Luke Nowak, I'm sure he will play the outfield at some point. And, you know, you're going to have opportunities to get guys at bats, even if it's just once a week to start. But – you got to take advantage of those opportunities, and I think both of those guys will when they are given a chance. Alan Powell adds the depth on this team is unreal. Our second team could finish in the top three and four uh, of the AAC. Bats on the bench like Clonch, Dixon Williams, Burgess. Rasmussen is another guy who can hit. You know, He got a big pinch hit the other day against North Carolina, so clearly there's a lot of faith there. I still think Nathan Chrisman will end up playing a, a bigger role at shortstop. Uh, as the year goes on. So, yeah, I just – we're so early, Scott. I, I still think there's several things to play out. Definitely that third outfield spot, whether it's center, whether it's right, I, I think that's going to take at least a few more weeks, if not longer, to kind of sort out who's going to be that third outfielder with J.C. and Hoove. Yeah, for sure. Um, first, give a shout-out to McLean, who I used to bother all the time when we worked together, um, talk about just random ECU events. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, that, that third outfield spot is a hundred percent up for grabs. Um, and we talk about Nowak, um, and his ability to read a ball. Can he step up and, and really lock that down? And then, you know, he becomes the third outfielder and that gives you a lot more freedom in the DH spot. Um, you know, whether that's Rasmussen or, um, Dixon Williams or Clonch or whoever that might be, or, you know, it could even be matchup dependent. Um, and then, obviously, if McChrystal comes back and he's healthy and um, Will Coxon finds his form, you know, maybe he's the – it's Nowak in the outfield and those two are DH and catcher. So, you know, I, at this point, I don't think I could give you a name that I, I truly feel confident that would play every day as the third outfielder. I think we're going to see a lot of different guys over the weekend, um, one to keep legs fresh and one to just figure out who that guy's going to be when it comes, you know, June. East Carolina now at five and one on the season, and they play four games this week at Duke on Tuesday, 
And then the Keith LeClaire Classic, welcoming in Indiana on Friday, Long Beach State on Saturday, and Georgetown, who's off to a pretty good start on Sunday. Uh, I think Long Beach State had a doubleheader with Seattle today. They they lost the first game, but were up 10-1 in the second game. So they should come in 4-3. and three. Uh, Indiana, I think 3-4, and four, but they played at Auburn, at Texas. So, you, I mean, they're going to come in ready to go. They won one game in both of those series. And Georgetown, I think, is split with UNCW. Um, and then they I think they're six and two, six and three. Like they they are off to a pretty good start. I don't know the exact record, but solid competition. Another big, big team. Duke just put up like 60 runs or something crazy <laughs> against Baylor. Uh I was talking to Aaron Fitt, who was at both games this weekend. He said Baylor's pitching is just awful. So you know, I don't know what to make of Duke, but look, they're they're probably a top twenty-five talent-wise team, and this is a critical game on Tuesday. So we'll start there. We're all going to be there. We'll make our picks for the week again. If you got any last-minute comments uh, or questions, drop them in the the comments section. As Lucy Jones continues to just <laughs> go off in the comments section, um, we'll start with you, Scott. But I tell you what, let's. Uh, I guess we'll just make our predictions for this week as a whole. Uh, last week, nobody was right because we all predicted four games. I will say I was the one that predicted a loss at Campbell. Um, so I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. Not that I'm proud of ECU losing, but, uh, hey, they still won the series and went two and one. So none of us were right. None of us were wrong. Um, what do you think, Scott? Four games this week, good competition. Let's hear your prediction. Yeah, I think if we can beat Duke, Indiana, and Georgetown all in the same week, then they should uh, give us a basketball recruit as a prize. But um, <laughs> no, I, I got us at four zero this week. I, I think that the team kind of clicked this past week, um, and they'll play well in all four games. And obviously, the um, the Leclerc Classic is is a big deal, and I think that it really matters to Cliff, and it really matters to the team. Um, and we'll. It'll be mostly Duke fan, or sorry, mostly ECU fans at Duke. So it's really a, a four home game week. Yeah, uh, Wags, you going four and zero? Yeah, uh, someone commented earlier. I think that you know, I think if we win, then a long winning streak could be on the horizon. And I, I kind of have the same feeling. And I think when you look at a lot of teams, you know, good college baseball teams at this point in the year. It's one thing to blow teams out, you know, like ECU did against George Washington, you know, 23 to whatever. But it's the games like UNC, even the games like Campbell, where you show that you can compete with – it doesn't matter who it is. If you can win tight – it doesn't matter who you're playing against. If you're playing in a tight ball game, it doesn't matter if you're playing against North Carolina, LSU, Tennessee, or if you're playing against whoever. And it, Winning close ball games in high leverage spots is important at this time of the year. It really builds you. So I think ECU has been through both the first two weekends. Uh, I don't see a reason to pick against ECU this week, so I'm not going to. So I'm also going to stick with 4 0. You guys, <laughs> you guys are just making me like pick ECU lose every week now because I, I 100% know if I, if I, all right, so I really want to pick ECU to go four and zero, but I can't jinx ECU like that. So um, I'm going to go with this. All right, I think they win at Duke on Tuesday. I think they uh, lose 
to Indiana Friday and then win the next two. Um, but, I mean, in reality, I, I think 4-0 and is a possibility. It's hard to win every game in a week in college baseball. But it just seems like ECU in DBAP, outside of the one time where they got on Gavin Williams, which they may have had a legal video, by the way, that game. I'm not going to go into that story. But uh, um, that's their one win in the last 23 games over ECU. And this is a good Duke program. So they're going to be fired up to try and beat ECU. But I just feel like ECU plays well in that park. I think they'll win. And I think they win, too, um, at the Keith LeClaire Classic to have a 3 and one week. And 4-0 would be great as well. So um, – We'll see. I'm, I'm picking them three and one just to try and motivate them. I should say zero oh and four just to piss them off. <laughs> Maybe they're on the bus ride to Durham listening right now uh, on the podcast. What you what you need to do is just start picking first. That way you put either me or Scott in that top position. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next week, next week I'm picking first. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna let y'all get the uh, the first pick. Um, Chris Lehman says, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have answered this, but if UNC declines the makeup game, is there a payout to ECU? I would assume so. I don't have the contract. I would have to look at the contract, but I, I would think so. I mean, that would cost ECU ticket revenue. It's a contract to game, or they could just agree to move it to next year, and ECU could again have two. You know, if they choose to do this, they could have two home games you know, in that weekend series again with the third game in Chapel Hill. So um, I'll try and get the contract for that series, request the three CU to see what it says. But if they make up the game, it kind of becomes a moot point. So I, I think they'll try and make it up at some point. Uh, McLean says he's headed to Durham. We will be in Durham as well. Somebody asked for a Duke scouting report earlier. I'll be honest, I, I don't have too much on them other than I know they scored a bunch of runs. They're starting to transfer a pitcher. They usually throw a bunch of arms at ECU. ECU would do the same. Midweek game is hard to really know what to expect from a pitching perspective, but they can swing it. Um, I don't know if y'all have anything to add on Duke that y'all have seen. I yeah. don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. There you got it. All right, guys, let's get out of here. Um, I appreciate, as always, uh, the response from the fans. Awesome stuff all night long. Um it's been fun, guys. Fun weekend of baseball. It'll be hard to top that before before the end of the year, before June. Hopefully, ECU's hosting again so we can experience that that atmosphere again. But uh, I'm excited. And, and, again, we'll all be there tomorrow. So, hit us up. Behind on plate. Yeah. I yeah. guess we'll – yeah, we'll try and meet up. Maybe like uh, 30 minutes. Are y'all going to be there early enough, like 30 minutes before first pitch? I should be there. I should be there a little before three, if I had to guess. Game starts at four. Yeah, I should be there by an hour out. Yeah, I think I took off at three, so I'll probably be there like three twenty, three thirty, something like that. All right, three thirty on the concourse behind home plate. You can meet Scott Lorbacher, aka Twenty Five Secret Squirrel Twenty (laughs) Five, and Jay Wags Seventy Four. From own three sports, by the way, uh, rival company of twenty four seven sports. But, uh, Friend of the Hoist of Colors podcast forever. <laughs> Friend of the pod. All right, for those guys, I'm Stephen Igo. We will see you guys, if not in Durham tomorrow night. We'll talk to y'all next week on the live stream again. Subscribe, like, comment, or you're a loser. Or Scott will track you down and tell you to.
And don't forget to ring the bell for notifications. That's right. Yes. I knew we were missing something. Ring the bell. And those that are listening on the audio podcast, thank you as well. But you should join the live stream. All right. We're getting out of here. Good night. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.